Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Daily Wire achieves a resounding victory at the Supreme Court as Biden's illegal and insane vaccine mandate is blocked and effectively killed. Also, in more good news, college enrollment rates continue to decline across the country. We'll talk about that. And the top prosecutor in Baltimore is facing a slew of felony charges related to fraud and perjury. Meanwhile, a convicted arsonist uh, that she set free from prison is speaking out to the media. He's opposed to his own release, yet he was released anyway. Plus, a study finds uh, claims to find anyway that people are more attractive when they cover their faces with masks. And in our daily cancellation, the left is upset about my anti-universal voting rights stance. For a change of pace, get this, they've called me racist. I'll deal with that today and much more on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you probably heard me talk about my Helix mattress. Uh, so exciting news then. Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They launched a new company called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped directly to your door. So what makes an Allform sofa really cool? For starters, it's the easiest way that you can customize a sofa using premium materials and at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, the sofa color, the color of the legs, sofa size, and, and uh, much more. And also the shape to make sure that's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. You can always start small and then buy more seats later on if you want your all-form sofa to grow and change with you uh, when you move. And if getting a sofa without trying it in stores sounds a little bit risky, you don't need to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That's more than three months. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. And, and they also have a forever warranty, literally forever, and Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash Walsh. To find your perfect soda, sofa, check out allform.com slash Walsh. You know, I tend to subscribe to the, to the idea that you should expect the worst and hope for the best. But then also know that your hopes are foolish and futile and then resign yourself to despair and failure. This may not be the healthiest psychological approach to life. You know, it's not going to make you the most joyful person, but it inoculates you from disappointment at any rate. And um, that is why I didn't expect good news, honestly, to come from the Supreme Court's hearing on uh, Biden's vaccine mandate. I wasn't expecting good news. It was worth fighting. We had to fight. But uh, I, I have little faith in the court's ability to get anything right. So I was prepared for the worst. And for once, for once, my pessimism was not vindicated. As you've uh, heard by now, the court announced on Thursday that it was blocking Biden's vaccine mandate for private employers effectively killing it for good, even if the, the uh, Sixth Circuit rules in favor of the mandate at some point in the coming months, which maybe they will. The Supreme Court has already made its opinion known on the subject, which means that this mandate simply has no path forward. It will never see the light of day. It might linger on in the court system for a while, but it won't make its way out into the workforce where you have to worry about it. Why did the court block the mandate? Well, you can read the opinions, which are, which are actually worth reading. But it all amounts to what we already knew. The federal government has no constitutional authority to impose this kind of rule onto the American workforce. Biden cannot unilaterally declare that a certain medical decision must be a prerequisite for employment for every person in the country. He doesn't have that authority. The mandate was illegal. It was also deeply immoral as it sought to violate the autonomy of the individual in a really profound way. You know, we hear a lot about bodily autonomy as it relates to issues that have nothing to do with bodily autonomy like abortion. But here is one where the phrase is actually useful. The president trying to force a needle into your arm for any reason at all. 
must be an infringement on your autonomy if you have any autonomy at all. If that word means anything, then it must apply here. And on top of being illegal and immoral, it's also illogical. This point was not uh, featured as prominently in the Supreme Court arguments, but it's important, even decisive, I think. Since the shot does not prevent the spread of the virus anyway, any, any even potential argument justifying the mandate melts away into oblivion. If the mandate could be justified at all, which it, which it couldn't, but if it could, that justification would have to rest on the vaccine's ability to stop the spread. That's the only way you could say that there, there's any real public health interest going on here. But it has no such ability, not a significant enough degree anyway. And, uh, and so the one potential defense of the mandate is rendered moot. So it has no legs to stand on. And now it can't stand at all because it's been shot down. Now, I do believe it's necessary to spike the football when you achieve a victory. For one thing, because it's just so damn satisfying to do. But two, because it's important to acknowledge uh, the wins when they come. And, and this is a big one. The Daily Wire was first in line to challenge the mandate in court, soon followed by many other employers and organizations. Not enough. I mean, there were, there were, most employers were willing to just go along with it and not fight at all. But, you know, we've been chanting, do not comply for months. And it's more than a slogan for a t-shirt. It's a battle cry, now a victory cry, and a banner that we're going to continue to march under into the future. Because too many people have grown far too accustomed to simply doing as they're told, going along to get along, cooperate, submit, so they don't make any waves, so they don't draw unwanted attention to themselves. But if we're going to pull our society back from the brink and rescue ourselves from civilizational ruin, we need to dis- rediscover the power of the word no. That's what the Daily Wire's mandate challenge was all about. We said no, and the no prevailed in this case. Now, it doesn't end here because the tyrants will never stop exploiting COVID in an effort to gain more power for themselves. And beyond COVID, we know that there are many more battles to fight. If we will not comply has been our battle cry at the Daily Wire for years, you know, for years before that, the battle cry, or rather the cry of surrender among the losers and submissives and bootlickers of our culture has been, this isn't the hill to die on. You know, they're constantly accusing those of us who are in the fight, the, the men in the arena, as Teddy Roosevelt said, of dying on a hill. Do you really want to die on this hill? They sputter helplessly. And as each successive hill is reached, they always find reasons why it's not important enough to fight over. Surrendering one hill after another until there are none left to defend. So to answer that question, yeah, we will die on this hill. And the next one. And the one after that, if that's what it takes. Because we've given up far too much ground culturally. And, and we aren't willing to be a part of the retreat. So we're standing our ground. And the great thing we've discovered about being willing to die on the hill is that sometimes you win, you don't die. And you get to pop champagne and celebrate your victory. Other times you lose, but you go down swinging. And you cause as much damage to your opponent as you can on your way down, setting the stage for the next fight. That's my attitude. That's why I'm here at the Daily Wire, because it's an attitude shared by the whole company. We won this fight. Can't promise that we'll, we'll always win. You know, there are going to be losses too. We can promise that we'll always fight. And that means something. I mean, these days I think it means everything, really. Now let's get to our five headlines.
We're all getting killed at the gas pump right now. You got to find any way that you can to save some money, especially when it's a really easy way um, like this, the GetUpside app. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas at uh, with GetUpside every time they fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price of the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. All you have to do, it's very easy. Download the app for free and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal. You can use a, you get a gift card for Amazon and other brands as well. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Again, that's GetUpside, code Walsh. It's free with the GetUpside app. You know, of all the cliches, um, the cliche that uh, opposites attract is probably the truest in my experience and couldn't be more true of, uh, of me and my wife, certainly. So just an example, yesterday I was at, uh, I went to Fox News, uh, you know, I, I did a Fox News hit, uh, Fox Primetime, and I told my wife to meet me at the studio, not, not here, but the studio where we do the, the, the Fox News hits in town, because uh, we're going to go out to dinner afterwards. And um, so she comes to the studio and she's in the little like waiting room area and I go in to do the hit and I'm on camera for maybe like five minutes or less, four minutes maybe. And I come out and my wife has, has made friends with the makeup artist and she's sitting in the makeup chair at the studio getting her hair and makeup done for no reason, just like for fun. She's not going on air. And then we leave and she's telling me all about the makeup artist who I see all the time there. But she's learned more about this woman in five minutes than I have in five months. And she somehow established this deep connection and friendship in a span of time that it took me to film a Fox News segment. I mean, I could be around someone for 10 years and not learn anything about them. Like I, I might not even know their names. And she'll make a new best friend in 95 seconds. It really is amazing. I swear, sometimes like she'll, be, she'll be texting someone and I'll say, oh, who's that? And she'll say, oh, it's, it's uh, Sarah. You, you remember Sarah. I was like, well, no, Sarah, who are you talking about? She said, oh, you know, she's the woman that I met um, at the gas pump last Tuesday. She was pumping gas a- across for me, and, and now we're best friends. I don't get it. I don't understand how it's possible. But uh, as I said, I, I could not be further on the other end of that spectrum. All right, let's uh, got a couple clips here to play for you. First, the White House reacting to their defeat. Uh, Jen Psaki saying, you know, it's, uh, it, well, she was given a chance to respond. And I guess we'll listen. I mean, does she offer any kind of explanation as to why the decision was wrong? Does she have any kind of constitutional explanation? Uh, let's find out. The, the Supreme Court's decision on the OSHA mandate essentially means that in, the, in this pandemic, it is up to individual employers to determine whether their workplaces will be safe for employees and whether their businesses will be safe for consumers. Uh, so President Biden, you'll see this in his statement, uh, will be calling on and will continue to call on businesses to immediately join those, those who have already stepped up, including one-third of Fortune 100 companies uh, to institute vaccination requirements to protect their workers, cons- customers, and communities. We have to keep working together in order uh, to uh, get this done to save more lives. Um, I would note that there are a couple of um, signs, good signs, in terms of uh, without this um, 
even in, even in spite of the ruling that we would point to. One is that 57%, according to a Navigator poll, of Americans support vaccine requirements. Okay, so there's, there, she's got nothing. Uh, there's no constitutional argument here. She has no explanation as to why the decision was actually wrong. Instead, she says, well, we're, we're relying on um, employers to just do it anyway. And the thing is, lots of them will. But we have to remember that they have no justification to do it, no reason to do it. They don't have to do it. If your employer still requires vaccines for you, they, it's not something they have to do. They're choosing to do it. And that's one of the reasons we talk about the fight continuing. The fight continues. Um, employers that re- still require the vaccine as a condition of employment, which again, many, plenty still will, you may not have the same kind of constitutional issue because this is not an official government mandate anymore because that's been shot down. But it's still, I believe, a human rights issue. And so that those are, are people who are subject, subjected to these mandates, even on the employer level, who need to be defended. Um, I don't think that at this point we simply declare victory on the vaccine mandate and then move on to the next thing. Because there are lots of uh, people who are still going to be subjected to them. And it's still wrong. Um, Biden, here he is yesterday calling for, this is before the, uh, the, the, the decision on the mandate came down. And here he is calling for censorship of his political opponents. You know, we're, we're told that um, social media censorship is not a First Amendment issue at all. Not a free speech issue. Because these are uh, private organizations that are making these decisions to censor political speech. But what happens when, the pr- when, when they're doing it at the behest of the president? Let's listen. Unfortunately, while our military is stepping up, as they always do, there are others sitting on the sidelines. And we're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all. Our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. Yeah, work together. We all come together to do exactly as I say. So um, are we willing to consider the possibility that there might be constitutional issues now, First Amendment free speech issues, when the president is instructing social media companies to censor speech? Oh, but it doesn't count because it's only it's only misinformation. It's only misinformation that we're censoring. Who decides what's misinformation? Well, uh, the powers that be. The administration, the regime, they decide. You know, that's that's one of the problems with even calling uh, these big tech companies private companies. Maybe in, in name only. But their relationship to political power certainly blurs those lines. And the way that they act as tools of political power, or rather one side of, the, of that uh, power structure anyway, the way they act as, as tools, as vessels of political power certainly continues, again, to blur those lines. Now I think you have a real, you know, if you end up getting banned from social media, 
allegedly because of misinformation, misinformation that uh, that has been declared misinformation now, but maybe a week from now, because Fauci says it or the CDC says it, now it's not misinformation anymore. Doesn't mean you're getting your platform back. You're still gone. But if it happens after Biden calls for it, instructs that it must happen, I think there are real constitutional issues there. Uh, continuing, Biden also, we hear again his claim that wearing a mask is your, it's what makes you a good American. If you want to prove you're a good American, prove that you love your country, do your patriotic duty, well then cover your face in public, you disgusting, ugly freaks. That's Biden's message. Let's listen. In public places, you should wear the mask. And you're, there, there, there are a lot, you know, lots of different kinds of masks out there. And the Center, for, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, says that wearing a well-fitting mask of, of, of any of them is certainly better than not wearing a mask. If it's well-fitting, well fit over your nose. And, but it's about one-third, about one-third of Americans report they don't wear a mask at all. As I've said in the last two years, please wear a mask. If you're in a, you know, I, I think it's part of your patriotic duty. It's not that comfortable. It's a pain in the neck. But I've taken every action I can as president to require people to wear masks in federal buildings and on airplanes and trains because they're internet, they cross state lines. I've made sure that our doctors and nurses and first responders have the masks they need. No matter how many times I hear that, it will never stop being extremely creepy. To hear the president say that your patriotic duty is to cover your face in public. That's how you prove you're a good American. That's how you do patriotic duty is to cover your face. Um, and as always, because we know, again, how the, misin- the, the claim of misinformation goes, he's, he's not engaging at all with the actual data and the facts. I mean, we've, we've heard from representatives of the airline industry saying that the mask mandates that masking on planes is not necessary it's a it's a just a charade because in terms of uh, as far as viruses go or really almost any physical threat the, the safest place you could be is 35,000 feet in the air um in a in a giant metal tube it doesn't always feel the same especially for me as someone who experiences a lot of anxiety flying but it is and you're breathing heavily filtered air um that is, uh, you know, and you've got air piped in from outside the plane, which is as, as clean as it could possibly be. But that's um, that still counts as misinformation, I guess. Until until we until until an approved authority figure says it, that's misinformation. All right, let's move to this from the Daily Wire. It says colleges, and this is more. So this, this is uh, actually we're doing some good news on the Matt Wall Show for a change, and uh, we started with good news. Here's some more good news. Colleges are experiencing an intense drop in the number of students enrolling in classes to receive undergraduate degrees, showing a trend that might not taper off with the end of the pandemic. God willing. New data released on Thursday by the National Student Clearinghouse showed that U.S. colleges and universities experienced a decline of almost 500,000 undergraduate students in the fall of 2021, keeping up with a drop that started in the fall prior. The National Student Clearinghouse data showed that, quote, Continued enrollment losses in the pandemic represent a total total two-year decline of 5%, or nearly a million, 938,000, nearly a a million students since the fall of 2019. It added that undergraduate enrollment fell by 3.1%, or 465,000 students over the last year, 
while graduate enrollment is down less than half a percent. Um, there was also a difference in the topics that students are signing up to study. It says the report noted enrollment in each of the five largest undergraduate majors at four-year colleges fell steeply this year. Liberal, liberal arts declined the most, while computer sciences and psychology also uh, grew rather by 1.3 and 2.5% respectively. So we can uh, we can pin a lot of this probably on the on on COVID, but whether or not it's the, the the trend is going to reverse as we get out of COVID, if we're ever allowed to be out of COVID uh, in any kind of official capacity, that's that's an open question. And I'm hoping that what happens is that just like with um, with the public school system, you know, uh, we, we've seen homeschool rates incline precipitously. And uh, you might say that, again, if we ever are allowed to be free of COVID or free of the, the, all the, the anti-COVID measures anyway, that maybe those trends will go back down. And it, it, it might decline a little bit, but I think what's happened with the public school system and homeschooling is that lots of families were forced to do it. And uh, they, they would not have done it otherwise, but they were forced to. And because they were forced to do it, they discovered, many of them, that, hey, uh, I can do this. Uh, this is better for my kids to be homeschooled. Not, not to sit on, at home on a computer doing remote schooling. That's like the worst of all worlds, where they're still in public school, but they're doing it through a computer. But no, actual homeschool. Parents discovered, I can do it. It's good for my kids. And even I enjoy doing it. What do you know? I actually like being around my own kids for the majority of the day. You know, I, I like being a full-time parent, not a part-time parent. Where more than half of the parenting duties is siphoned off to the, to the school system. So that's been, a, that's been a revelatory moment for a lot of parents. And I hope that something similar is happening with the university system. Where families that otherwise, without COVID, probably would have shipped their kids off to a four-year institution. They're not doing it for whatever reason now. And uh, maybe you're going to have people discovering that, hey, you know what? This, this is fine. I was going to go to college. I didn't end up going. I, I got a job. I don't have all this debt. And I'm doing well. Now, the, the scare tactics that kids are taught in the school system... And I know because I went through this myself, even though I didn't end up going to a four-year institution. But I, rem- I remember the scare tactics very well. And they make it really clear to you that if you don't go to college, you know, it, it, your life's going to be a failure. You're going to end up on the street. You're going to end up it's having a, a miserable uh, life. Whereas if you go to college, then success and happiness await you. A, uh, a utopia, a, ut- a utopian future awaits if you just go to college. I can remember those, uh, those, those tactics very well. And that's what all these kids are going through. It's only gotten, more, it's only gotten worse as time goes on. Um, but maybe some of these kids have realized that that's not exactly true. This will be, this will be one of the best things for this country, I'm telling you. One of the best things for our country and the best things for our culture would be th- this this trend here five percent decline in enrollment if that keeps going down you know what I would love to see my my uh, u- utopian future or as close to utopia as you're gonna get which is still pretty far away is like how about a 90 percent decline in college enrollment that's what it should be 
You take all the kids that are enrolled in college right now, maybe 10% of them, maybe, should actually be there because they want to be doctors, lawyers, engineers, architects. They want to be at literal rocket scientists or whatever. Uh, clearly, you need more formal schooling to go into those lines of work. But the vast majority of jobs that you're going to take on do not actually require a four-year institution in order to do them. Because the vast majority of jobs, almost everything you learn, you're going to learn on the job, and, uh, and most of it's going to be like in your first week. So you, you could go to school for four years and then go get a job somewhere, and you're going to learn more in the first week relevant to that job than you learned in four years, by far. The problem is that although the vast majority of jobs don't actually require a four-year institution, don't actually require a college education, there's an artificial requirement that these employers have put in place um, for a lot of reasons. One of them is just pure laziness. But they're trying to streamline the recruitment process as much as possible and it makes it a lot easier if they can just throw out half of the applicants because they don't have a little piece of paper. Never mind the fact that many of those applicants, you're, you're th- you might be throwing out the best applicants. But that's what it's, it's really about for the employers, just whittling down the pool. Um, and, and even if you're doing it in a way that's unfair and doesn't make any sense, you're just whittling it down, making it a lot easier. That's why I, I've been saying for a long time that when we talk about the student debt problem, um, and, and all of these things related to higher education, we need to be putting more blame and pressure also on the employers who are driving this. There's the universities who are driving it. Obviously, the banks, the government, the school system, I mean, all these are culprits, but, but, but the employers also are for putting these artificial requirements in place when they know that it's not necessary. This would be the best thing for the country. You know what? I wish I could say, we talk about college education. And we say, well, you know, you need to be able to use your college education. And when we say use it, what we mean is go and, and get a job and profit off of it. That's what it's become. So it's of course sort of this real utilitarian way of, uh, of using your education. But I, I wish it, it, it weren't like that. I wish we could say that, um, that you know, you, using your education, the most important way that you use your education is simply by becoming a more, uh, a more well-rounded, intelligent person. You know, in, in an ideal scenario, we, you, it should be worthwhile to go and get an education for its own sake, even if you never, quote-unquote, use it at a job. But it, it's not like that anymore. It can't be like that because the education is way too expensive for that. It, it, you can't justify doing it for its own sake because it's so expensive. And also the quality of the education isn't good. It's something that you could probably achieve on your own on the internet. And, um, and oftentimes the education really just amounts to left-wing brainwashing. So we're at a point now with the education system, with with the, with with colleges, the university system, that it it just you it can't justify doing going into it. You can't justify sending your kids into it unless they are going to use it in the sense of um, professionally. All right, so let's take a look at this. This is from Yahoo. Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby, the city's top prosecutor, 
was indicted on Thursday on federal charges of perjury in filing false mortgage applications related to a purchase of two Florida vacation homes. Mosby, a Democrat elected to her post-2015, is accused of falsely claiming twice to have suffered a work-related financial hardship from COVID-19 in order to request early withdrawals totaling $90,000 from her city employer. Um, uh, employer. In both instances, the indictment stated Mosby fraudulently cited a CARES Act provision allowing for emergency distributions of up to $100,000 from a retirement plan in the event of a furlough, layoff, quarantine, reduced work hours, lack of childcare, or impact on one's own business caused by COVID-19. And prosecutor said that Mosby used the money she received, $36,000 in May 2020 and $45,000 on December 31st of that year, toward down payments on vacation homes in Florida. So this is the Baltimore prosecutor. Uh, it's not even funny, but what can you do but laugh? Defrauding the federal government and using that money to buy homes in Florida. Now, one thing we know about Mosby before we knew that she was corrupt in this way, which is certainly no surprise. And the reason that's no surprise is that Mosby is one of these prosecutors among many in these major uh, cities that are all decrepit and falling apart, prosecutors that are very soft on crime. And in her case, why is she soft on crime? Well, because she's a criminal herself. She's got, she's, this is, there's a lot of self-interest that goes into this. She's a criminal herself. She relates to criminals because that's how she is. And uh, that probably explains why she isn't very enthusiastic about putting criminals in prison. You know, part of it is self-interest. Part of it is that she really does relate to these people. Um, and uh, it's just kind of a, a general moral debasement and derangement. That's why when we talked about this last week, I said we, we got to be very careful when we talk about these prosecutors who are soft on crime and the way that you hear some people on the right criticize them, they're still criticizing them by using the stereotype of the bleeding heart liberal who's overly sensitive. And in fact, if anything, has an overabundance of compassion. And that's the problem. That's not it at all. There is no compassion. These are morally debased and deranged people who, when they look at crime, they don't feel the the visceral outrage that they should feel on behalf of the victims of crime. They just don't care. So a perfect example from Mosby. The Fox affiliate in Baltimore had a pretty incredible story a few days ago. This before the, the, the news about her be, you know, be getting arrested herself. A few days ago, this story about a convicted arsonist who attempted to burn down his girlfriend's house with her inside. It admits that he wanted to kill her and yet was released from jail after a few months when his 18 counts was reduced down to one. Fox spoke to the arsonist himself, and even he says that he should still be in prison. Listen. I was just charged with 18 different counts. That was dropped to 10, and then it was dropped to one when I shouldn't be out right now. Do you think that you deserve to be out of jail? Personally, yes. But on a principal note, no. I disrupted somebody's life. I traumatized somebody. For real, for real. I was expecting to get time. Trent, not the only one surprised by the deal he was given. I didn't really know what to feel. Alexis says the attorney in her case from Mosby's office alerted her to the news the night before. It doesn't seem that justice, the goals of justice have been served here. Um, it just seems like it's part of some political game. Court records show Trent came back to the scene when police arrived. I wanted to see 
what I did, what I had done. Do you consider yourself dangerous now that you're out walking free after facing three attempted homicide charges? No, not really. Um, the reason why I say that is because I had a serious lapse in judgment. I don't consider myself a dangerous person. Well, that does not give me a lot of confidence, I have to say. That was not a confidence-inspiring answer. Do you consider yourself a dangerous person? Uh, not really. I just had a lapse in judgment that uh, resulted in me trying to burn my girlfriend alive. This was attempted murder by with fire, and um, he admits to it and didn't go to prison. This is how this is how deep the derangement goes in these cities. This is how deep it goes. A man who attempted to burn a woman alive. Mosby says, "Yeah, yeah, we'll give him a, we'll give him another chance." And and why is that? Again, th- there's a lot that goes into it. Part of it, as we talked about last week, at, at at the deepest level, this is an attempt to overturn the moral order. Um, to dismantle civilization, really, is what it's about. This is this is this is anarchy, lawlessness, very intentional, and there's a re- and there's a reason behind it. But also, what drives it is that again, these these people they don't for 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 those of us who are normal and have any kind of functioning moral compass. We hear about a story like this: a guy that tried to burn out his girlfriend ha- girlfriend's house when when she's still in it in the house, try to burn her alive. And, and we, we, we feel a, a number of things immediately. We feel outrage at this guy, and we want him punished for what he's done. And we feel deep sympathy for the, the woman who suffered through this. Very traumatizing event. And we also know that she's in danger as long as this guy's allowed to walk around on the street. So we have outrage at the, the, the criminal, and we, we want the crime punished. And that's not about hatred. That's a, that's a yearning for justice. It is hatred in the sense that we hate what he did. And maybe you even hate him. That's more than understandable. And that all comes from your desire for justice. It's a very healthy thing. Very morally healthy, psychologically healthy. And then also our sympathy for the victim. But somebody like Marilyn Mosby and these leftist prosecutors, they don't feel any of that. They don't experience any of that. They have no sympathy for the victims at all. And it's not that they have sympathy for the criminals necessarily. They just don't care. It's indifference. That's the, that's the great cancer in our society right now is, is indifference. All right. Uh, I want to play this for you. Britney Spears is um, freed from her conservatorship. And that's, you know, that happened about a month ago after this long public campaign to free her from a conservatorship. Lots of people joined and there were, there were rallies and there were, you know, activists. They want to, it's, it's not fair that she's under a conservatorship. And this was something that, that somehow uh, crossed both ideological lines and but people on the left and right, they were together in this thing. So we got a free Britney Spears. Now, one thing that I know, general principle here is that, um, you know, if you hear the left calling for something, then you know it's almost certainly wrong. But then when the other side agrees, most of the time you know that it must really be wrong. And that, I think, is the case here. So Britney Spears was freed from her conservatorship. 
And she spent the last month, I guess, just posting naked uh, videos on Instagram and kind of rambling incoherently, clearly demonstrating that she's a, a very mentally disturbed person. Well, her sister, Jamie Lynn Spears, has been talking about her own experiences. She wrote, she wrote a book, apparently, uh, trying to capitalize on all of this. But she it, it did an interview a couple days ago where she recounted just one of the disturbing episodes that, that she recalls from when she was a kid with uh, Britney Spears. And uh, here, here she describes one. Let's listen to that. You describe an incident where Brittany takes a knife, it says she's scared, and locks you and herself into a room. Why did you want to include that in the book? Because, first off, I think that experiencing my own panic attacks and how sometimes we can um, feel in those moments is important, but also it's important to remember that I was a kid in that moment. I was scared. That was an experience I had. That's just one story, locked in a room with this raving lunatic with a knife. I mean, who, who knows? She, she was apparently just paranoid and, and psychotic and, and hallucinating. Um, and this was my point all along with the, with the Britney Spears conservatorship. And I, you know, I said this, so people were upset at me, because like I said, on, on the right, this, this became a, a cause as well, a banner that they were marching under. They got to free Britney Spears from her conservatorship. And my point all along was, what, what are you people basing this on? What are you talking about? You say, well, she, no, she should not be under conservatorship. How do you know that? Well, you don't know her. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Like there, there are a lot of famous uh, pop stars and celebrities out there, and most of them are not under conservatorships. It's not like this is some sort of far-reaching conspiracy where, like, of course, this is framed in like a patriarchal way, and it's because she's a woman. And well, there's a lot of female pop stars out there that are not under conservatorships. This one is. And maybe it's wrong, maybe it's unjust, but the most probably logical assumption is that there's a reason why she's been singled out. Then when you consider that she lost custody of her kids, which is almost impossible for a woman to achieve, especially in California, that tells you that something is very, very wrong. And she was judged uh, you know, a danger to her own children. And yet all these people, based on nothing, they saw a documentary on Netflix or HBO or whatever it was and decided based on that that we got to release her from the conservatorship. For all you people know, she is a clear and present danger to herself and others. For all you know. And you saw a documentary. You saw a 90-minute propaganda film and just decided. You didn't need to know anything about her psychological profile. You didn't know anything about what's going on behind the scenes. In her own life, you have no idea, but let's free her. And now she's free. And you know what? My prediction, and I hope I'm wrong about this, but like something, she she's going to hurt herself, or she and she or or someone else or both. Okay, I I I will be surprised if Britney Spears is still with us in five years. So congratulations on your victory there. There's one victory that we should not be spiking the football over. Um, Okay, finally, here are some uh, fascinating findings from the Coalition of Ugly People. The Daily Wire, or rather the Daily, the Daily Mail reports, people wearing face masks are deemed to be more attractive than when they have nothing covering their faces, according to a new study. Face masks have become a common sight around Britain in response to the global COVID pandemic. And uh, Cardiff University researchers claim 
that the masks make both men and women more appealing on the eye. Uh, and they talk about how they conducted this study. They said the study, which began in February 2021, asked 43 women to rate images of men based on attractiveness. The pictures were shown with a two different kinds of face masks, uh, with a book partially covering the faces and with nothing covering the faces at all. Both a blue medical mask and a plain cloth mask were used in the study, and participants said that those faces were wearing surgical masks were the most attractive. Okay, so doesn't this? I didn't. I, I only saw the headline before I decided to put this in five headlines. Is this is this is the first time I've read about the actual study? And so they had a, a selection of men, and then I assume they did this the other way too, with women. So they had a selection of people, and then they had pictures of them without masks, and pictures of them with masks, and then they surveyed some other people and said, "Who are they more attractive with the mask or without?" It? Doesn't that just tell you that the people in the pictures were really ugly? Isn't that all that tells us? Because that's the one community, I would say, that has benefited from the face mask ordinances. I think it's been horrible for everybody. It's been horrible for kids. The one community that is, that's made out like bandits, literally, are ugly people. Especially if you are in that category where you are ugly, but you have nice eyes. Then these last two years, these have been your years. And I'll give you that at least. Let's get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. We the sweet baby gang. Andrew Schnick says, Matt, if you're snoring, you should see your doctor and go to a sleep specialist for a sleep study. They'll be objective on whether you snore. If you snore, you could have sleep apnea. Uh, please don't ignore this because snoring can be medically dangerous. Eh, I'll just die then, I guess. Um, I mean, I don't want to, but it, it, there's just no, and you're not the first person to say this to me. My wife has also said this. You got to go over for a sleep study, a sli- like a sleep study where I get, where I go into some laboratory behind a, a glass window and sleep while I'm being watched. Is that how that works? Just, just no scenario where I, where I will ever do that. So I'm just going to ride this thing out. That's it. That's my choice. Anne says, every day I listen to your podcast, and every day I say out loud, Lord, help his poor wife. You might think you're going to get banned for that, Anne, but perfectly justified. In fact, I think the same thing myself every single day. Garrett says, Matt, I think you'd be very proud of me. A few nights ago, I went to the grocery store to grab some food. After exiting the store and putting the groceries in my car, I saw that the nearest cart return was pretty far. However, despite it being dark and 20 and sub-20 temperatures, I mustered up the courage and stamina to hop back in my car and drive away. Wait. Leaving my car in the middle of the parking lot. You bastard. You're, I don't, do I have to even say it? Do I have to say it? I will. You're banned. Um, Adam says, Alex Stein, uh, Alex Stein did that song and it was a joke. He's got a channel. The joke was they let him go on for over five, four minutes. Okay, we played the, uh, the rap. The guy at some kind of town hall meeting rapping about the uh, about the vaccine and I, I have been informed in the comments that this was this is apparently like a conservative and it, this is all a parody or satire so it was a troll and I myself I I got trolled also the troll has become the trolled so well done Alex finally Kyle says only uh, only thing in life that is consistent is change change is inevitable that being said we won't be able to go back to a simpler time like before covid 
Matt, I'd like your opinion on how do we go forward from here? Where do we make positive changes that can make positive impacts? Um, where do we make positive changes that can make positive impacts? Kind of a, kind of a broad phrasing there. Like, okay, let's just talk about long game. And 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 we we started the show talking about the victory and how we have to fight. And I get this question a lot: is is uh, you know wh- wh- where do we go from here? Can can we achieve a kind of final cultural victory? And the answer to that is no, not in our lifetime. So we we have to start thinking about it long term. And uh, this is what I've been saying to people for years: we, we have to settle in and realize that we're in this fight. And we're, we are not going to see the, the sort of final victory where we reclaim the culture and some semblance of real sanity in our society. I don't think we're going to see that because it took generations to get to this point. And logic would tell us that it will take generations to get us out if we do. So you're not going to see the victory. Um, your children might, but probably won't. You, you were talking more about your grandchildren and your grandchildren's children. And that might seem depressing, but but in, in another sense, it's I think it's kind of encouraging. You got nothing to lose. This is what your life is. Settle down for the fight. That's it. Yesterday, as you heard, the Daily Wire was part of history. The Supreme Court has blocked the Biden administration's outrageous vaccine mandate for private employers, uh, and we know that this that this uh, that this decision was was very important for freedom for employers, and uh, it's going to protect all of us going forward. The Daily Wire is one of the first in the nation to file suit against the obscene federal overreach, and I'm thrilled that the risk we took has paid off. The mandate itself set a dangerous precedent that the unelected OSHA held power over the personal medical decisions of American citizens. Because once it was a decreed law, it wouldn't have stopped at big employers. This would have expanded to smaller companies and on from there. The Supreme Court recognized this gross power grab and has made the right decision. We're so proud to have led the charge in this fight, but we could not have done it without you. Thousands of you joined us and over a million signed our petition against the mandate, and we still need you. We're going to continue to take the fight to the left because when it comes to preserving our freedom, you can never rest. So join us today at dailywire.com slash subscribe and be a part of the conservative movement to keep our freedom and our values alive. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. So once again, I must defend myself from these slings and arrows of my fellow YouTubers. You would think that there might be some kind of like camaraderie between all of us. We might form a common bond, united as one community. That's what I want. I constantly extend my hand in friendship to my YouTube neighbors. But my, my, my friendly gestures are rebuffed. It's a tragedy. So today I'm, I'm forced to enter the ring once again. Though in this case, I'm afraid it may be too late. Dr. Rashad Ritchie is affiliated with the Young Turks. And he has his own show on YouTube called Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. I'm not sure what his doctorate is. Uh, I assume he's not a medical doctor. As far as I can tell, he has a PhD in race baiting from Al Sharpton University. I say that my response may be too late because his video attacking me is titled, Dr. Ritchie destroys Matt Walsh for bigoted opinions. So I've apparently been destroyed. I don't feel destroyed. I didn't know that I was destroyed. I woke up this morning still physically intact. But sometimes destruction can be a bit more subtle. I was a dead man walking and I didn't even know it. It's probably hopeless to even respond to Dr. Ritchie as I am now but a pile of rubble. Yet I'll try to pull myself together. Richie is angry with me because of a segment on this show a few days ago where I said that I'm not in favor of universal voting rights. 
I don't support a system that allows clueless, non-contributing imbeciles to vote. And I think we should put some kind of measure in place to filter out the ignoramuses and societal leeches. Richie didn't like that, and so he set out to destroy me. Let's see if he succeeded. Yep, and I'm going to state this without apology. I think you're racist as hell, okay? And let me explain to you why, uh, Mr. Matt Walsh. Um, you actually are being truthful about what you believe. I wish more Republicans would just say the way you're saying it. Because at least we can deal with them as they are without the trickery involved. But you are entitled to your opinion and I'm entitled to mine. And here's mine. You actually are connected to the sentiment of the founding fathers of this country. Because they did not want everybody voting, no. They wanted a particular class of people to be able to vote. They wanted white men who owned property. Now, I don't know about your financial situation. Maybe you would have been included in that or not. But they only wanted white men that own property. That's bigoted, that's racist, that's sexist. You got all of that in one. And you are connected to that sentiment. Taxation, my dear brother. Taxation without representation is what you are advocating. I have to pay taxes, every voter has to pay taxes. So you're telling me that we should pay taxes into the American governmental system, the structure of taxation, which is constitutionally mandated, but we should not all have the right to vote, only select individuals, as you said, the most competent and qualified. And I'm sure you want to pick what competency and qualification is. You're rooted in bigotry, racism, and classism. You rather pick the voters because you're scared of the voters picking the politicians. It frightens you, but we coming. Wow, no false advertising there. He did destroy me. He called me racist. That's the end of the discussion. I, 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 am, I am vanquished. I cannot recover. All he has to do is point at me and say the R word. And I melt away like the Wicked Witch in the Wizard of Oz. At least that's how he thinks that this will go and should go. But unfortunately for him, I have a magic shield that protects me from the racism charge. And on the shield is written the words, I don't give a damn. So you aren't going to shut me down by by calling me a racist because I, I don't care about that label. I don't care if you think that about me. I'm not interested in trying to convince you otherwise. I don't care one way or another. That word means nothing to me because people like yourself have completely emptied it of all meaning. You're going to have to present actual arguments, not labels, but you have very few of those arguments to offer, it would seem. So let's go through your points such as they are. Your first point, and also your second, third, and fourth points, are that I'm racist, as we've covered. Now, we've established I don't care about that, but there's one other observation to be made related to that charge. In in, in my case, in my case against voting rights, I never once mentioned race. I simply say that, that terminally ignorant people should not be able to vote. At other points when talking about the subject, I've also expressed frustration with the fact that non-contributors, societal parasites, are able to vote. I've never racialized that sentiment. My position is quite simple. I I couldn't possibly care less whether you're black, white, or any other color. If you're one step above comatose and have no idea what's happening in our country and are barely even aware of what country you live in, you should not be able to vote. And there should be a process in place to weed you out. I have no opinion about... How many members of each race will be excluded through this process? I don't care. If one race, uh, you know, every member of that race passes through, uh, fine with me. If they're all excluded, okay. It's not about the race for me. 
Now, I imagine a pretty large portion of all races would end up on the Democratic cutting room floor if we put something like, that to, something like this in place. So be it. Doesn't matter to me. You, Rashad Ritchie, are the one who has apparently decided that a basic voter competency test would, would exclude a disproportionate number of black people. I didn't say that. You're saying that. I said that ignorant dummies shouldn't vote. Then you accused me of attacking black people. You've connected dots that I did not connect and do not connect. That's your issue. Stop projecting it onto me. You also claim that my plan would amount to taxation without representation because we're all taxpayers and thus we should all be able to vote. Except that, in fact, we are not all taxpayers. We're certainly not all taxpayers to the same degree. In fact, half of the households in the U.S. pay no federal income tax at all. And I believe that number has actually gone up significantly over the last year or so. Now, if you're suggesting that only taxpayers should be given the right to vote, then you and I could actually reach a compromise. I'd like to see more qualifications put in place than that, but disenfranchising non-taxpayers would certainly be a good start. After all, the flip side of the taxation without representation coin is representation without taxation, which is also unjust if it's not, if it's not equally applied. Right? If there are some people that are taxed, some people who aren't, both get to equally represent themselves in the voting booth. That's not fair because it allows people to have a say in a system that they have no financial stake in and are not contributing to. And what happens is that they can vote themselves money from the public treasury even as they're not putting anything into the pot themselves. So it's a fundamentally unjust and out-of-balance system. Yet, now you could... You could uh, alleviate some of my concerns in that area by like getting rid of the welfare system, for example, and entitlements, and we could have that conversation. So that takes us down a whole other road. But I'm guessing that you wouldn't be satisfied with that compromise or with the taxpayer compromise. You cite taxation as an objection to my voting proposal, but in fact, you don't think taxation should actually have any bearing on voting rights at all. You simply use that as a cudgel when it's convenient to do so. You give me credit for saying what I really mean. I wish I could give you credit for the same. But you're guilty of the same kind of trickery, quote unquote, that you accuse your opponents of engaging in. Now, you say that I'm scared of the voters picking the politician. You're right. I am. I mean, you you have not uncovered any deeper secret truth. I'm very open about it. It terrifies me that people who think that the term branches of government refers to actual trees are nonetheless able to decide who's in charge. It terrifies me because, because of this. Corrupt and evil politicians are able to exploit this ignorance and this stupidity. And we are living through the results today. We talked about Baltimore. Many American cities now lay effectively in ruins because clueless, incompetent, easily manipulated voters select people who promise to destroy their own neighborhoods, torch their communities, and make their quality of life demonstrably worse. And these voters select them anyway. The competent voters who know better are then forced to live in the ruins that this self-destructive stupidity brings about. It doesn't have to be that way. It's a problem that can be solved. But we can't solve it because people like yourself would rather the dummies vote because you know that your policies won't be enacted any other way. And that's why today, Dr. Ritchie, I have to say, unfortunately, that you are canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and a great weekend. Talk to you on Monday. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodowski. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Clavin.